Addiction and Recovery podcast, Series 1, Episode 3. Hi, I'm Chris, I'm an addict. Well, we're moving now on to the uh, third episode of Season 1 of Understanding Addiction. Um, it all sounds a bit of a mouthful now, I hear it. But anyway, it's really getting down to itemizing each section of uh, what is addiction. Um, and this is coming from me as a recovering addict. I'm not a professional. I've just lived with the disease most of my life. And as I've said before, I just want to share as much as I can of my journey and my understanding of addiction. So last week we spoke about the hole in our soul and also the, um, uh, the tiger, the sleeping tiger. So I'm going to carry on from where we left off and move into what a lot of people have asked me about is to explain further about this void, this hole in our soul. But first, before I carry on, I'm just going to give a little description that has come from the World Health Organization um, about the disease of addiction. It says, addiction is a registered disease and must be viewed the same as any other disease. And if you remember last week, we spoke about um, similar diseases, one of them being uh, diabetes. The World Health Organization does recognize that addiction is a disease like any other. Addiction is the disease. It is a continuing and progressive illness of which there is no known cure. It can, however, be put into remission and then recovery can begin. I have, as you know, the disease of addiction. How did I get there? Well, to fill that hole in my soul that I had, which was just yearning for something because of, really, circumstances and things that had happened to me in my childhood that had enabled me to feel, I don't know, a lack of self-confidence. I felt that I was inadequate. I felt that there was more, but I couldn't find it. And above all, uh, I really didn't like myself. So there it was, sitting, waiting to be woken. The tiger was asleep and it was waiting to be woken. I chose drink to begin with. And it made me feel good. It made me feel, I don't know, like uh, everything else didn't really matter. It uh, allowed me to almost feel free from all my, my own inadequacies. And uh, I enjoyed it. And it seemed like a lot of fun at the time. I then moved on, as you know, onto marijuana, then onto poppers, then onto cocaine, onto speed, onto heroin. But each time I took another drug, it made me feel good about me. And I was able to break out from what I thought was this cage of inadequacy. However, that cage that I broke out of, I just broke into another cage and released the tiger. And so what happens and what I'm trying to explain in this is that although addiction was sleeping and got activated, I made the choice of what I was going to do to fill that void. And that, in my case, was drugs and alcohol. 
And obviously I found out a lot of other tigers that I had as I went along on my journey to recovery. So anybody can have other addictions that will fulfill that void that we have, that hole in our soul. Sex can be a very addictive activity, enabling us to just fill up that vacuum that needs to be filled. But the problem with that is there's always very little love involved in it. And because there's little love involved, we tend to be using other people to fulfill our need. And that is where the selfishness of our disease starts coming into play. It also is manipulative, it's dishonest. So if we now look at other aspects of, let's say, gambling. Gambling is also another way of filling that hole, filling that hole in our soul, because that hole needs to be filled with something. So in that, I have chosen to use drugs and alcohol, as I've just said. And that's where I must take responsibility for the choices I made. However, I cannot help the fact that I have the disease of addiction. It's the choices that we make to feed that addiction, feed that hole in our soul, that we, and myself particularly, must take responsibility for dealing with that. And from there onwards, once we are in remission, is to accept the disease that we have in ourselves and live by those rules. And those rules are that we cannot be involved in any form of addictive activity in our lives again. Sounds horrible, but it's not. It is actually very, very freeing. My belief is that hole has been designed specifically for our spiritual life, our spiritual element. We have become spiritually empty as, as active addicts. So for me, that is where the higher power should have always been. But I didn't know a higher power. I didn't know Jesus Christ as I know him today. I just filled it up with everything else. But today, I've filled up that void with a power greater than me that is Jesus Christ in my case, and my life has changed dramatically. Dramatically. Before I came to know a power greater than myself or was prepared to hand my will and my life over to this higher power, um, I literally had no longer control of my life while I was an active addict. I just lived to use and used to live. There was no other purpose. There was no other, anything else on the horizon for me. I just thought this is the way I'm gonna survive and this is where I am going to be the slave to the master of drug addiction, heroin addiction, alcohol addiction, addiction. I personally am not able to have or get involved in any form of addictive activity. Even though my primary uh, addiction was drugs and alcohol, there are now, as I recognize, and I call them my other tigers, that I definitely have a problem with. And one of them uh, in particular 
uh, I've recognized was my sex addiction. And from that, um, I began to realize that I was being self-fulfilling um, in my sex addiction. Um, and, and the reason I know that is that it became obsessive-compulsive, and this again uh, was to fill this addiction void. And it wasn't just the drugs and alcohol, it had been replaced. The drugs and alcohol had now been replaced by sex and, and gambling as well. And so I, I recognized that because, first of all, I was just going out to fulfill that need. There was no love in it. It was completely selfish. I really didn't care about what I was doing to the other person as far as their emotions were concerned. Um, I was just filling that void. And, it's, um, and, and I, got, I got to understand that and I began to, uh, through my wife now, understand what true love was. And up until that point, I don't think I really understood what true love was about. And as you heard in my story in the first episode, I was sexually abused at school uh, when I was uh, age seven to nine. And in that process, and in the place that I was at, there was no way that I could have at that point in time realized and understood what love, true love was about. But because I needed the attention from these people who were abusing me, I personally began to think that that was love because it made me feel wanted. So with that and understanding that my understanding of love was completely warped from my past, I was believing sex was a way of being wanted. However, having met uh, my wife today, she showed me what true love was about. And in that, we had a period of complete celibacy. And in that, everything changed. I wasn't going out and taking my, who was then my girlfriend, uh, out for a dinner and hoping that we would have a lovely evening that we would get a good result when we got back home. When we went into celibacy, there wasn't any of that because it wasn't going to happen. So we went out to dinner and we enjoyed each other's companionship. And for the first time, I began to get to know a woman for who she really was, not as an object that I used to think. So today, I have the most incredible, loving, true loving relationship with the most amazing human being, and that being my wife, of who I have two children with. I'm just trying to explain more my personal hole in my soul and what I have filled it with. As we do with step one, we first will admit that we're powerless over our addiction and that our life has become unmanageable. And then step two is came to believe in a power greater than ourselves to restore us to sanity. Step three is to hand our will and our life over to the care of God as we understand him. So quite interesting, I've got an amazing saying talking about step two, going back to it very quickly, is 
This insanity, why does it say insanity? Do you honestly believe that any addict is insane? I know that I was completely insane, totally whoopee in what I was doing. I was doing very dangerous things to enable myself to fill my need for drugs and alcohol. Uh, I would drive drunk. I would get onto aeroplane flights overseas carrying heroin on me. I would go to dealers uh, or dealers of dealers and got right up into the supply chain of which I had put my life into a very, very dangerous situation. But I didn't care. I just needed to get the drugs to just feed this addiction. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Yep, that was me. I was insane. I hope that sort of, in a very short uh, explanation, helps understand what the inner need to fill this hole is that we call active addiction. We're filling these vacuums with the wrong things. They are immediate and absolute instant satisfaction. And that appears to be perfectly normal worldwide. That every, you know, nobody really can see what's wrong with that. Well, I am fortunate enough to be living and alive today with 37 years clean, but I'm one of the lucky ones. So what turned me around was really, first of all, understanding what my addiction was and what I needed to do about it, to get the tools that will keep me on the road to recovery and keep my addiction in remission. But above all, the most important thing which I have now fully understood from being an atheist to agnostic to a full believer of Jesus Christ, I have come to understand what that void, that hole in our soul is actually designed for. Spirituality to me had become null and void, but my addiction had become my value. I think the beauty of the recovery fellowships that it is non-religious um, and it is a spiritual program. And so it, it is not exclusive to people like myself, which is uh, a, with a Christian outlook on my higher power. It is open to every single one of us. It is inclusive for everybody and anybody who is trying to find a way to fill this void, this hole in our soul. My direction is run by my higher power through the 12-step program. And I just encourage any of you who are lost and wondering how do I fill this hole in my soul is to now start considering to reboot your spiritual life. Find that higher power that is bigger than you, that will restore you to sanity. Okay, this week, um, as usual, we've got a guest speaker on um, this podcast. And today it is with, again, great pleasure and, and, and privilege to have Helga, who is an alcoholic, um, but she has been in recovery for many years. She has 
um, a lot of sobriety as well as she has an amazing amount of remission time, as I call it. She has been going to Alcoholics Anonymous for many, many years and has a lot of wisdom about her recovery. So I'm not going to go on about it anymore and I'm going to let Helga now tell you her story. Here it is. Helga, over to you. Um, I'm an alcoholic. I never wanted to be an alcoholic. It certainly wasn't my goal in life. And when I heard that word, I thought it was the biggest insult and humiliation you could ever have. When I was little, I realized way into the program that I didn't like anything in life. I didn't like my mom, didn't like my dad, didn't like my dog, didn't like my house, didn't like my hair color, didn't like my shape, didn't like anything. No reason, no good reason. I had a nice mommy, I had a nice daddy, I had a nice house, I had a nice dog, but I didn't like any of them. So I only realized that into the program. After I'd sobered up, I figured out it was me. I just found fault in everything, you know, and I was grumpy and I was angry and I was a victim and the whole world had done me in. You know, especially daddy, he was a big monster, you know, and I made him into this huge monster in my life. And I spent long, many hours wishing that he would vanish off this place, out of this world. And, um, you know, as a little girl, I, I, when I heard, when I first came into the program, I thought people only drank when they were adults. But that's not true. I had my first blackout at 13. I'd taken my little friend home from school and uh, into the liquor cabinet. And remember that yellow advocate stuff you pour over your ice cream? We poured a big glass of that stuff, we downed it, and I remember nothing. I woke up the next day, you know? And that was my first blackout. And to my shock and horror, I understood that a blackout is forgetting. Forgetting, forgetting parts of the evening. Sometimes it was little parts, but the little parts got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that was my problem. My problem wasn't drinking. My problem wasn't anything. My problem was the blackouts. I was, a little bit, I was a little bit worried, just a little bit. It wasn't a big problem, it was just a little problem. And, um, but they got worse. And uh, I went to school and I wasn't very good at things at school. I was, you know, and I wanted to be, I didn't want to be, I was, wanted to be good, I wanted to be first and I wanted to win every competition. And I didn't, I came last. I was always in the D team, just passed. You know, it made me angry. I didn't realize at the time, and uh, so I wasn't the smartest kid in the block, and, uh, and that, I didn't like that, but I was very ambitious, and I remember as a little person wanting yachts and islands and ships and countries. I don't know what I was going to do with them, but I believed in some strange thing that I deserved all this in life. You know, I, I was entitled to this. Uh, somehow I was going to get, because my life was felt uncomfortable. I was awkward. I never fitted in. But somehow I thought these outside things were going to make me feel better. But I only realized that way into the program, way into Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, you know, I went to school and I didn't do so well. And I came out of school and I went to tech and I learned how to drink. And we learned all the drinking games, you know, coin, you throw it in the, car, into the glass, drink away. 
And I was good at that game. That I was quite good at. <laughs> you know, so for the first time in my life, I found something I was good at. I was quite proud of it. I could drink all the boys under the table. You often hear ladies say that and don't know what that really means. But uh, it was something I was somehow proud of. But eventually, it, I wasn't so proud of it. Eventually, it became a little bit embarrassing. And eventually, people were not really that keen to go out with me. And, uh, and they used to think I had a selective memory. It's not true. I really didn't remember. And it f freaked me out. Like, I could not remember for the life of me big, big time in the evenings before. And things started happening. Like, like I started losing cars, like the whole car. Not the keys, the whole car. To this day, I lost three cars. I have no idea what I did with them. I think I parked them somewhere in Rosebank. Oh, I gave them away. Maybe I gave them away, I don't know. And sometimes I was landing up in jails, you know, in the bench inside the charge office. All the cops would laugh at me when I'd wake up in the morning. I saw Ed, saw Nick. I'd say, you ready to go? They'd give me my keys. I had no idea how I got there. And also I used to get quite aggressive. And uh, sometimes, you know, lots of ladies will tell you in the program they would wake up with a strange man next to them. I never woke up with a strange man, thank goodness. But I'd wake up with a broken nose, my tooth through my lip here, broken arms, ribs, had no idea. Sometimes bad knuckles, not that I'm a fighter. I don't know, I've never learned to fight in my life. So I think I was, I think I was a fighter, <laughs> you know, and uh, it was a bit embarrassing. And, uh, you know, so that was a bit uncomfortable and I just it started becoming awkward. You know, and then I was finding myself waiting for the weekends, waiting for Friday so I could find a customer, we could drink together. I was always an excuse. I always had to have some kind of an excuse to drink. You know, I was working hard. Um, I was achieving so much. Look how famous I am. It's tr stressful. You know, there's always a good reason to drink. And, uh, you know, and, uh, but I was getting worried about these memory failures, these blackouts, what they call them. Um, so a friend of mine said, and I was, couldn't believe that they remember the evening, a friend of mine said, maybe you're an alcoholic. And I was so happy. I wasn't unhappy, I was happy, because there was a name for it. There was, like a, like a, there was a name. And I thought, well, what does that mean? She said, oh no, they, they can't handle the alcohol. I said, oh, what do I do? You must go to a place called Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay, well, I was quite happy to do that, I wasn't. But uh, you know, I was gonna pop in. I was just gonna pop in. I wasn't gonna stay. Everybody's gonna teach me how to drink one or two glasses and go home. Because I never had one or two. But in the beginning I had one or two, but then it was one, two, three, oh, 33. And somehow between three and 33, I don't know what happened. <laughs> and uh, you know, so when they said I was an alcoholic, I, was, well, I wasn't particularly unhappy about that. So I went to a meeting, they told me about these places called meetings, I sat in the back room and I listened to us. No, no. The one guy was quite funny, but he was quite nice. I listened to him, and the next week I went, and he wasn't talking, and the next guy was boring, so I thought, oh, this is a little bit silly. You know, it's a bit exaggerated. They were being a bit uh, dr dramatic about my drinking problem. Give up. Don't be ridiculous. I just need to learn how to drink one, two, three. Go home. So I thought maybe AA is not for me. Alcoholics Anonymous is not for me, so... But then life changed fast and quick. And within two, three years, it got very out of hand. I was more embarrassed. I was more humiliated. My business wasn't doing 
that well, didn't like my partners, just, I just was uncomfortable. You know, and as we say in alcoholics, we always think the grass is greener on the other side. I wanted those friends. I wanted that house. I wanted that job. I wanted their legs. I wanted that person's hair. Whatever it was, whatever I had, whatever I was, was not good enough. Was the word enough? I learned in Alcoholics Anonymous. Nothing is enough. It's never good enough. It's never enough drink. It's never enough of anything. And uh, I went back to Alcoholics Anonymous and I leopard crawled, literally. Snuck in the back. I was so embarrassed. I don't know what I was embarrassed about. I mean, who's going to recognize me? Like I was so famous. And, uh, you know, and, and I was embarrassed and I was humiliated and I thought, oh, and for once in my life, I thought, just listen to these people. They're happy. They're joyous. I saw some famous faces. Everybody looked like they had jobs. They were well-dressed. The ladies were well-groomed. The men had suits on in those days. You know, and I was like, wow. You know, these people can't be alcoholics. I wonder what they're here for. But I just kept going, you know, and I just kept going and I kept listening. And I, for once in my life, I obeyed. Now, I use the word obeyed. I can hear this name on my ears, but I obeyed. And they told me what to do. The first time ever, I said, okay. Okay, and I just did it. And we are defined people. You tell me to go left, I want to go right. You tell me it's black, I don't know why we do that. I think we're smart asses or something. I don't, I don't know if we think we're clever or, you know, somehow we're going to prove that we're particularly clever. So, but this time, for once, I actually didn't. You know, and I just thought, yes, I don't understand this drinking thing. I have every intention to have three, and before I know it, and I'd say to my friends, please, man, today I just want one beer, Coca-Cola, one beer, Coca-Cola, one beer. Do we all agree? And everybody agreed. Ah! Oh. And I'd wake up the next morning with a sore head, couldn't remember where my car was, and I would say, what happened? They said, no, you had one beer, one Coke, one beer, one Coke, and then you went to the bar, you climbed over the bar, you took the vodka and you just started drinking it. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. And apparently that's what I did. And I thought I was going nutty. I mean, why can't I control myself? Where's my self-discipline? Where's my discipline? You know, I'm a bit Germanic, so I'm supposed to have discipline. I just, I couldn't have discipline over this thing. I just, I just couldn't do it. So I kept going to AA. And somehow it happened to me. I didn't do much, it happened to me. Before I realized I hadn't drunk for a while. I didn't even know when. It was like all of a sudden I thought, I don't know, it was about two or three weeks I hadn't drunk. How did I do that? I didn't even realize. And, uh, you know, I kept coming to the meetings and you know, I left my part in the business we were on. It was horrible. I lost the whole business. But life just got, I got happier and happier. And I got very lucky all of a sudden. It was quite interesting how lucky I got, you know. I got so lucky that uh, I decided to grow up and get a real job. And I thought, well, uh, you know, maybe I should be an engineer. So I decided to go back to university. The lecturers all thought I was nuts. You know, I was already in my late 30s. And all I did is I went to university and I went to Alcoholics Anonymous. Went to university and my money ran out and I wanted to take my house. And, but somehow I was getting happier and I was starting to pass. And I just got better and better. And to this day, I'm very happy. I have a, a very nice degree, a mechanical engineering degree. Thank you very much to the program. Thank you, Alcoholics Anonymous. 
because it doesn't really make sense. I'm not the smartest person in the show. You know, I'm not that smart. I'm not that disciplined. I'm not that motivated. I'm somehow got this degree. And today my life's fantastic. Today I don't feel I'm hard done by. I don't feel I'm missing out. I don't feel it was a punishment in the beginning. It was a punishment. I thought it was poor me. What did I do wrong? Why am I getting punished? You know, what happened today? It's not a punishment. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, today I was taught to help somebody else. It didn't come naturally. Um, you know, to sponsor somebody, to share my experience, to help them along. That was not normal. That I didn't do. It was all about me. Today I like to believe that I'm not so selfish anymore. I still am, but I quickly stop it. Um, I like to I find Alcoholics Anonymous, I like, uh, the recovery program, you know, anything to do with a 12-step program, it's unbelievable. And, and it helps on every level, you know, from eating to drinking. Maybe they talk about Love Anonymous. There's a whole lot of stuff we do. And, you know, the addiction, is, I think we all got it in some way, you know. And if anybody's got a little bit of a, you know, something's always better on the other side of the fence... You know, we tend to, we talk about filling the hole in the soul. You know, we fill it with stuff. Mm. You know, and thanks to the program, we, it's a higher power and whatever you want to call it. And when you feel connected, you know, because we we're not connected. We feel like we're disconnected. Like, I remember as a little kitty thinking I was adopted. I had the wrong mommy and daddy. You know, there was a, surely, because I didn't like them and they didn't like me. So they, it can't be them. And I believed that I was, you know, I should have been in another family and, you know, we all, it's just like we disconnect there. When you come into the program and we do these things, we suddenly feel like we're connected. Like I feel I'm going with the flow. Somehow, all of a sudden, I'm going swimming with the river, not against the river, not upstream. And, and that's nice, you know, because life's maybe a little bit boring. It's okay. You know, it's so boring. I go once overseas, to, uh, once a year overseas to Mexico, Peru. I travel the world. It's fantastic. You know, I've got a nice, boring life. I go to bed at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. I wake up in the morning. I go to gym. I'm happy, chappy. You know, that wasn't natural. That wasn't my, my, my default mechanism is not that. So today my life's really, really good. I might not have those yachts and islands and countries and things that I wanted. It's what I do with them anyway, you know. And, uh, and today life's good. Life's fun. It's, it's, I help other people as much as I can. I love AA. Wherever I go all over the world, I go and talk anywhere from Japan to, you know, I've spoken all over the world in Europe and America, South America, Mexico. It's fantastic, you know. So life's good. Life is just fine. It's, it's, it's stable. I've got the best job in the world. I'm free. Nobody micromanages me. I couldn't have designed it better. That's my story. Thank you, Helga. As usual, great story. Thank you so much. So that's it for this week. And um, thank you for listening. Until then, just remember, stay safe, be good, and keep it clean. Bye.